Blog Talk Radio. Witches. I'm your host, Raina Starr. It is first Friday of the month, so you know what that means, kids. It is Talis and Govannon and me doing our favorite thing, talking politics and everything's going on. But before we start that, Desperate House Witches is not a GPG or even an R-rated show. So if bad language, bodily function, dirty talk of any kind might upset you, this may not be the show for you. However, I'm hoping it is. Uh, <laughs> Desperate House Witches is brought to you by... The one, the only, the incredibly wicked one herself, the amazing Dorothy Morrison. And guess what, y'all? The limited edition candles are on sale right now. Check it out. Go to www.wickedwitchstudios.com forward slash limited edition candles, all one word, dot HTML, and get you some while you can. These are her limited edition candles including some of your favorites like Badass, Extreme Badass, St. Dorothy the Wicked, and guess what, The Conjurer, amongst others. So if you've been waiting for those candles, go get them while you can, wickedwitchstudios.com. Without further ado, one of my favorite humans, the amazing Talisman Govan. And hey, my friend, what's happening? Hey, 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 how's it going? Oh, it's going you know, good. it's, it's Talk it's me. February, and you know you can just get up in the morning and go, man, I love the smell of competence and political leadership in the morning. But anyway, I do, I do, I no. do. But before we get into that, tell everybody what you're up to with your stuff. <clears throat> well, uh, things are continuing on. I am getting closer to nailing down exactly when the release date for the witch is going to be. Basically, I want to do at least a three or four-week pre-sale on it. So once I have everything nailed down with the packaging, uh, I am going to uh, be releasing a big day for part two in the Sorceress Saga to be released. Of course, all folks out there should know that Reina has seen an advanced copy of the cover of The Witch because it has the character Uh named after her on the front cover. Yes. Yes, I do. So excited. So excited. I love it. The cover's gorgeous. (laughs) Please tell folks more. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, it is part two of the Sorcerer's Saga. It is a seven-part series. It is a closed series, and it is a saga. So, in other words, it's not like a bunch of disconnected stories. It is one complete story spread out over seven parts. And uh, the, it's uh, I'm releasing The Witch uh, at the end of this month, slash in the first week or two of March. And then I'm going to be looking forward to a summer release for part three in the saga called The Queen. Uh, and also I will have Ooh. other uh, stuff coming out this summer, including the debut uh, trilogy of stories by, uh, you know, about Trevor and Evelyn Hawkins, uh, a couple of characters I've been developing 
for a couple of decades now. Uh, kind of imagine it as uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer meets Aleister Crowley meets uh, Jim Morrison, basically, <laughs> is this kind of character. Uh, so it's uh, uh, that's a lot of interesting. And today I finished one of the hardest things that I've ever written. I am writing a series of stories called The Wheel, and it is going to be a series of pagan holiday stories based off of each uh, story in the pagan calendar, the first story being called A Solstice Gift, uh, then the next story being A Candle for Imbolg, and it's going to follow a family not only through an entire working of the Wheel of the Year, but an entire life cycle, the teenage years of the young girls in the story. And so it is going to tell, you know, and and it's going to, you know, it's going to go, you know, holiday to holiday. It's going to have lore in there and it's going to connect in to the stories of these people as they grow up and they find themselves. Uh, There is drama, there is comedy, there is romance. There is lots and lots of paganism. Uh, The the next one I'm going to start working on, the next chapter is called Around the Beltane Fire. But for some reason, the chapter that I wrote just now called, and really they're kind of like short stories or novellas all strung together into one big book. So I call them chapters, Mm -hmm. but they're kind of like each their own self-contained story as part of a larger whole. And I was working on uh, uh, eggs and equinoxes, of course, going around the spring equinox. And I don't know why, but it's, uh, it just turned into one of the more difficult stories I've ever written. Uh, Just, you know, and It was taking slow. I'm used to writing five, six, seven thousand words a day. I wrote three thousand right. words this last week. Uh, it took me a week to wow. write the last three thousand words of this story, but I'm okay with the fact that it's kind of like, um, you know, doing my own vasectomy with no anesthesia at times, as far as how difficult it can be to grind through some stuff. But it's coming out very well. It's coming out better than I had hoped for a first draft. So. That's kind of, if people have noticed that I've been kind of like not as busy on Twitter this week and just really doing the bare minimum on Facebook and that kind of thing, it's because I just kind of had to put my head down and work on stuff and get this story out. Uh, Even if that meant taking time to smoke a joint and listen to, you know, a Steve Vai record or something like that, just to kind of like, you know, realign my creative (laughs) chakras and that kind of thing. Um, I will say, though, the last 2,000 words of the story came out all at once, so I think I'm getting past the difficult part. But that is, uh, I'm going to be publishing that if everything goes as planned through a traditional publisher that I will not Ooh. name yet. I'll wait until we have something more solid down as far as a deal. Uh, but we are looking to publish that uh, at the end of November so that we have stuff for the holiday gift-giving season for pagans to find wow. something uh, for Yule, for those hard to shop for pagans on your solstice list. Uh, it is going to be, as far as I know, it's kind of a first. It's a, uh, I mean, most of my stuff is like, it's not PG-13 or R. My stuff is very grown up. A lot of my, my fantasy stuff, you can ask anybody who's read the book. Uh, the Sorceress, we've got sex, we've got gore, we've got drug use, we've got bad language. We've got extreme sarcasm, all the things that seem to upset parents. So the wheel, on the other hand, though, this is going to be written as more of a YA thing. So I'm not going to be having all the cursing and all that stuff. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be for, for kind of a different audience that I'm writing for through fantasy, uh, but it's going to be uh, kind of like my thing 
for pagan families as my own kids are getting older. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Wonderful. Tell folks also where they can find your writings and where they can find you. Well, you can go to talismg.com and you can still get a link to go right to buy the Sorceress. I need to update the page. I know before anybody, you know, pitches a fit at me, I know I need to update it. I'm actually going to be doing a major update over the next week uh, as I get ready for the uh, the pre-sale for The Witch. So you can go to talismg.com. Uh, you can also look me up on Twitter at talisor at talison underscore g. Uh, I always have info up there on how to get all of my stuff. Uh, and you can always hit me up on Facebook. And let me tell you, I'm going to be doing a cover reveal for the Witch Nest next week. And I want the Desperate House Witches homepage to be a part of it. I figure we can we can uh, agree to post it at the same time on the same day uh, next week. Love it. Uh, do a big cover yeah. reveal for the Witch and uh, for yeah. the uh, reworked TalisonG.com website. Awesome. Let's do it. Let's do it. Right. And on a side note, and on a side note, uh, there was some stuff. If you listen back in shows four years ago, uh, there was a story I was working on that I really had high hopes for. I was really had real big high hopes for this. I was going to do a romance novel about two women who met at the women's March that happened after Twitler's inauguration back in 2017. Um, but I wound up dropping off on that project because I didn't know how to end it. And if I don't know how to end the story, I'm not going to work on it because it's going to grind to a halt and I'm just going to get pissed off. So I've always been wondering wh- if I'm going to start the story at the Women's March, where do you end that kind of story? Where do you end, where do you have the climax of that story when you're going to weave it in with the politics and what we've been living through over these past few years? And now I know. I may not get to writing it until next year, but it's obvious the storming of the Capitol. So, you know, having my characters caught up in the chaos and melee of that is a big Hollywood ending. So if anybody's ever wondering Uh what was happening to that political uh, romance novel, I know how I'm going to end it now. And once I get about, you know, another two or three books in The Sorceress out, I might take a few weeks off to try to bang that one out. So, yay. Cool. (laughs) Yay. All right. Okay. Yes. So speaking of the riot, let's just launch into this shit, can we? Ugh. Oh, yes. What, oh, yes. Now, what the amazing... What the hell? What, what's, what's, you want to talk about what the hell. People are learning that you don't fuck around with federal judges or federal prosecutors. Because a lot of these people who... You know, we're booked on misdemeanors and that kind of stuff and arrested with these very nebulous charges, some of them getting released ridiculously early. Well, in the last few days, the indictments have started coming down from the federal grand jury that is investigating the uh, terrorist attack on the Capitol on January 6th. And they are coming out with indictments on these people that are serious. And if they get mm-hmm. convicted of a fraction of what they're charged with, they're still looking at 20, 30 years in jail. And so when you're talking about, like, wow. the Yahoo who had his feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk and was acting like such a cocksure idiot, this guy has been uh, charged with bringing a deadly weapon onto, uh, into the commission of a 
crime, which basically yeah. is another degree of felony. He's got a felony charge on uh, using violence to try to interrupt the proceedings of a government function, which is a uh, 10-year felony, but uh, bringing a deadly weapon into uh, the mix could add an easy 40 years onto his sentence. And let me tell you, when you get convicted and sent to federal prison, you don't get let out in five years on good behavior. You serve your fucking sentence. So that guy's looking at pretty much the rest of his life in jail. Uh, You've got a bunch of people who are being indicted on incredibly tough charges that is going to bar these people from doing things like uh, voting and doing things like ever owning a gun the rest of their lives. So the people who are carrying the banners that said, I dare you to come and grab this gun, just fucking handed all of their guns to the federal government for the rest of their lives. And you know what? I just sit back and giggle and munch my popcorn and say, yay, fry the fuckers. I don't give a shit. These are terrorists. Let them rot in jail for the rest of their lives. And let them know exactly. And, and, and I love the, the woes and the cries. Like the guy, they call him the yeah. QAnon shaman. I call him the guy in the Chewbacca bikini. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, fuck, fuck what is a Chewbacca bikini is now wailing and crying that he did all of this for his guy Trump and Trump didn't pardon mm-hmm. him before he left office. Boo fucking yeah. boo. So, and right. he is looking at serious, serious charges. The guy who was carrying around Nancy Pelosi's lectern is facing mm-hmm. serious charges and they are going to be looking together uh, basically there's this little thing in federal law, especially when it comes to incursions on uh, federally protected land, that if a death mm-hmm. it, it happens during the commission of the crime, you can be charged with the murder even if you're not the one who did the killing because you're a co-conspirator right. in the crime that led to the murder. So there could literally right. be 30 or 40 people charged and officers sit next step. Uh, and I don't know if I don't know about you guys, but I watched uh, Officer Sitnik's the arrival of his remains at the Capitol Rotunda. It was very moving, and you just know that you know Joe is going to basically, if he sends a message to his AG at all, it's going to be don't hold back because he's pissed. So you know it's it's the 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 chickens are coming home to roost, and oh my God, Kevin Mc I never thought that John Boehner would ever be surpassed at being a weaker Mm -hmm. speaker of the House. Then we had Paul Ryan. Then I thought, this is it. Mm -hmm. Nobody is ever going to be as emasculated in the role of a majority leader in Congress as Paul Ryan. Now we have Kevin McCarthy. Uh, (laughs) Oh, my God. Kevin McCarthy is like, he is. He, well, he's such a weasel that the fact that he's in the absolute yeah. worst job in Washington right now, I think is entirely justified. The only thing that I wish more is that they had somehow forced Ted Cruz to take care of Kevin McCarthy's headaches. He deserves the migraines even more. Uh, but McCarthy is mm-hmm. just fucked. He is screwed because corporate America is yanking funding away from anyone who is part of the QAnon caucus in Washington. They know that Mm -hmm. that sedition 
is not a good public look for corporate America. Um, And so McCarthy is looking at trying to find a way to get not only his caucus reelected in two years, but to try somehow to gain votes. But he's caught. He's caught. He's trying to play up to the Liz Cheney wing of the party and the Congresswoman QAnon's wing, uh, the uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, although I just like to call her uh, Malibu Hitler Barbie. But anyway, uh, you know, it's, it's like he's caught between these two caucuses, and these two caucuses are going to openly go to war. I mean, you notice this, the Republicans in the Senate have no fucks to give. I mean, whether it's uh, right. Moscow Mitch, Moscow Mitch, mm-hmm. Mild Mitt, or, or, or even little Marco Rubio have all come out talking about the crazy caucus. Of course, you guys all enabled Trump, which really made right. the crazy caucus the face of the Republican Party. But the fact of the matter is, is that the majority of his caucus is solidly, solidly behind Malibu Hitler Barbie and her entire uh, yeah. QAnon agenda. And mm-hmm. the Democrats are being incredibly successful. At, I mean, it's funny because before the last election, the Republicans desperately tried to make AOC and Ilhan Omar the faces of the Democratic Party, thinking that these are like, you know, the weird radical leftists and that uh, we'll try to stain all of them with that. Um, but there's just yeah. no way that anybody's going to be the face of the party when Uncle Joe is in the House, okay? Uncle Joe is the face of the Democratic Party, uh, you know? Yes. And, and, oh, my God, Joe Biden has gotten everybody from Bernie Sanders to Joe Manchin on the same fucking team, okay? This just yeah. blows my mind. I mean, again, people I are know. saying, you know... Who did Biden think when he says he needs, we need unity? You're never going to be able to unify with these Republicans. Yeah, but it's not just the Republicans he was talking about. He was talking about unifying yeah. the, the mushy middle and the progressive left. Um, and oh, let me yeah. tell you something. The progressive left in Congress is looking so good since the, uh, since the events of January 6th. Because now it's becoming stark, yeah. retail, you know, stark detail that the radical left in the Democratic Party wants everybody to have health care, and the radical fringe in the Republican Party wants to burn down the country and install a dictator. So it's like, you know, even even Chuck Todd isn't doing the false equivalency thing anymore. Uh, And it's it's wild to see. But, yeah, Joe has pulled his party together. Uh, Chuck Schumer is playing everything fucking perfectly again i you know people may not always like chuck schumer's voting record but the guy understands the senate he understands parliamentary procedure he knows how to get shit done and they're getting shit done and you know joe learned from the anguish that barack obama went through trying desperately to get republicans on board giving away the the store to get republicans on board Mm -hmm. and then them turning their backs on him anyway and, you know, Joe talks yeah. about being a unifier, but he's a scrappy Irish guy. He is not going to take yeah. anybody's bullshit at face value, okay? This is a no malarkey yeah. zone now. So, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, right. um, but, yeah, and, and, and so now Kevin McCarthy is going to have to try 
to uh, he's going to have to try to put together uh, a party that is basically the QAnon party. It's the QAnon caucus in the house. Uh, and I'm yeah. telling you right now, if he doesn't find a way to extricate the party from Trump and McCarthy's not even going to try, that's obvious. He already went right. down to, to, to Mar-a-Lago to kiss uh, Trump's bulbous right. bottom. So, so you know, uh, <laughs> and, and so, you know, it's, it, I think that it, we stand a good chance of picking up seats in the house in the midterms uh, because the crazy is on full display. And another thing to notice too, another number that I saw come out of Bloomberg, uh, that somewhere between uh-huh. 40 and 60,000 people have left the Republican Party since January 6th. Wow. And you this can should bet not those be are... a surprise, though. No. That should not be a surprise, no. because the crazy, as you said, has been on full display. And if they weren't convinced before, I'm sorry, but what happened at the Capitol with the insurrection, I mean, it was an in- – who the fuck had insurrection – on the 2021 bingo card, I didn't. Holy right, shit. right. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Are we not done with this now? It's obviously the party of Trump. It's obviously the party of, you know, these in, these insane QAnon followers. You know, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, one minute she's, you know, going after the kids at Parkland. Is she high? Oh, yeah. Who the hell attacked, you know, young people like that who have been through a tragedy? I wonder how she would have held up uh, under the same circumstances. That's scary, and I don't wish it on anybody, but you don't attack children. That's just bullshit. Um, Right. Even though David Hogg is a bit older now, it's still. I mean, that had to be one, like, the most traumatic experience a child can go through. Um, it's unimaginable that this woman thought it was okay to just go and attack him, then go on the floor and say, oh, no, I, I, of course these things happened, and no, I didn't mean it. And then 10 minutes later saying that, you know, the Democrats were all idiots for paying attention to her. And it's like, right. well, you know what, maybe we shouldn't pay attention to psychos like her. Maybe she's right in that regard, and whenever she comes on the screen, we need to complain about it. It's what we should have fucking done with Trump instead of giving him all that damn airtime, because that's how these people rise to power. Am I right, or am I talking out my head? <laughs> well, yeah, but also that's the thing, too, is the fact, uh, you know, when she said in her statement that the Democrats were foolish because they basically given her lots of free time, <coughs> Excuse me, to uh, work on we her tend agenda. To give crazy free time. Yeah, I mean, we tend uh, to give crazy free time because it's like a, you know, it's like watching an accident in progress because people are voyeuristic and can't help themselves. Right, but the thing is, is that it's like, yeah, but the thing is, is that, yeah, her having lots of free time to say lots of crazy shit, again, she is becoming the face of the Republican Party. She is the queen of the QAnon caucus. Uh, and just, you know, and the shit like the fucking Jewish space lasers, okay? Even people right. who are people, even people who are down with, you know, slaughtering school children for the good of the gun company's profits, 
you know, when you get to that degree of weekly world news level, level, you know, bat boy founding cave level crazy, then even some of the whack jobs, uh, you lose them because the ones who like to take themselves serious, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, Jewish space lasers, way to go, Marjorie. Um, but, you know, at that point, right. you, know, you can bet that that 30, 40 to 60,000 people who have left the Republican Party since January 6th, I can tell you exactly mm-hmm. where they're coming from. They are not just coming from the upper elites uh, in the Republican Party. A lot of them won't leave because their principles take second seat to greed and tax cuts anyway. But the people who are leaving mm-hmm. are those upper middle class suburban Republicans. They tend to be college educated. They tend to be very conservative mm-hmm. fiscally and financially, and that's why they stay to be Republicans. Uh, they're the people mm-hmm. who never really liked Trump. Some of them voted for him in 2016 just to give him a chance. Uh, any Republican bleed over from, uh, rep- you know, uh, into the Democratic ticket uh, voting for Joe or deciding to stay home and not vote for Trump as a kind of back doorway mm-hmm. of supporting Joe, you can bet that all these people came out of those suburban, college-educated, upper-middle-class Republicans. And there are entire gerrymanders in the House that depend on these college-educated, middle-class Republicans, uh, upper-middle-class Republicans. And if these people are hemorrhaging from the party, if these people are Mm -hmm. running away, uh, then in a lot of states they're not going to be able to vote in primaries if they go independent and they don't go all the way to join the Democrats. Um, So that means that in those areas where they can't take place take part in the primaries because they're only for party members, uh, that means that the QAnon caucus, uh, the QAnon crazies who are staying in the party because they're getting more attention Mm -hmm. than they ever could have dreamed of from otherwise, they're going to be the ones nominating the people running. And so in these districts that depended on the upper middle class college educated Republicans to keep those districts Republican, uh, if you get some, Lauren Boebert or, uh, or, or, you know, uh, Malibu, Hitler, Barbie, QAnon queen mm-hmm. running in those areas, mm-hmm. those people are going to go directly to whoever the Democrats nominate. I mean, you could nominate the genetic clone of Bernie Sanders, and they're going to go ahead and vote for them because it's kind of ins- they view it as kind of insulting just how cr- pandering to crazy that the party that they've been, you know, members of their entire lives have become. And, you know, you can take a look. Uh, There are, you know, places, uh, especially uh, in places like Missouri, uh, in places like Iowa, where, believe it or not, the suburban, exurban vote uh, really matters. And these places could become very dangerous, not to to mention uh, the suburbs of, of Dallas, Fort Worth, and Houston, and Austin, Texas. Uh, those if those mm. areas shift any more towards the Democrats, Texas is going to be yeah. blue in four years. So, wow. McCarthy's got McCarthy is basically the captain on the deck of the Titanic. Uh, basically, <laughs> trying trying to see how many careers he can save before the entire thing fucking goes down to the bottom of the ocean. Uh, and it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. So. <laughs> I have no sympathy for them. I really, you know, I got into an argument with somebody um, 
yesterday about, and believe it or not, there are still people doing the whole both sides thing that just, Oh God. Yeah. I can't, I, I just, you know, it makes me want to lose my fucking mind, especially when it's people yeah. I care about. And, and I, there's I just, call it what you know, it is. yeah, it's political hipsterism. It's a way of looking deep when, uh, while being extremely shallow. And I tell people that to their face. So, yeah. Well, I mean, there's also this faction that, that does the whole, you know, everyone's yelling at each other and nothing's, no one's being heard and nothing's being done. And I'm like, all contraire. Um, there's a yeah. lot being done right now. Um, and, you know, it's like when I try, you know, because I hear a lot of, well, you know, Trump did great with the economy. And I'm like, you mean the one that he inherited from Obama? I mean, that he it, it just, yeah. that he, well, it's still, I don't think the evidence of the tanking has even come out yet. I think it's going oh, yeah. to still take time because we're still in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, it's not, I don't want people to be lulled into a false sense of security about the vaccine until they've actually had the vaccine. And a lot right. of people, most people have not had it yet. And there are several to choose from, apparently. And now there are new variant issues, apparently. So I'm cautiously optimistic. I mean, the fact that Anthony Fauci can now get on the air unhindered and be able to say what's actually happening and give real guidance. Right. um, That that alone to me. Right. I mean, first of all, we're back to believing in science, kids. That's a plus. Um, And, you know, the chief the chief guy who knows his shit about this looks 10 years younger all of a sudden and is on every damn show as often as people will let him on. And it's a wonderful thing because I finally feel like I'm getting facts instead of, you know, whatever's going on in the mind of the crazy man with the orange do. I I mean, I just... It just makes me insane. It just does. I can't help it. I, I can't do the both sides thing. I've tried. Hello. I've tried to see it from other people's positions. Talzin, I will accept this as a flaw in my character, but I can't do the both sides thing. I just can't. Well, no, because that's the thing, too, is that people who are still trying to say, oh, everybody's yelling and nobody's being hurt. These are people who have been checked out of politics for a decade or longer because the reality that exists in Washington now is that you basically you don't have you don't have two parties with different uh, legislative agendas. You've got one party that is interested in governing, and another party that is not interested in governing at all, only at the raw accumulation and exercise of power. Uh, and literally, mm-hmm. Mitch is, Moscow Mitch is trying to do the same crap again, trying to line everybody up to basically be to say no on everything, including legislation that they supported uh, this time last year. They're trying to pull in Obama. But the thing is, is that that Chuck Schumer understands the Senate. And he's saying, guess what, guys? Ain't going to happen. And let me tell you something. I am predicting that we are going to see one or two Republicans in the Senate that are going to leave the Republican Party. They may not join the Democrats, but what they'll do is they'll leave the Republican Party, they'll serve as an independent, but caucus with the Democrats. And let me explain to Mm -hmm. you why that's important. If we get one or two, then I know 
just, I mean, I've heard some rumors, but I've also know just watching the guy and his character, I know that Chuck Schumer is going to accept their deal on one condition, that if he decides it's time to pull the trigger and end the filibuster permanently for everything so that we can be a simple majority vote body in the Senate, uh, that they have to support it. Because uh, Joe Manchin and another person whose name escapes me right now uh, are not, you know, they're, they're very conservative Dems. They're, you know, Dems in a, in a, in a red or could be purpling state. You never know. Uh, but <clears throat> they're not too crazy about the idea of getting rid of the filibuster, um, which is insane, but Manchin is insane. Uh, but still, yeah. you know, Manchin, he's, he's still trying to exist in the 90s when a conservative actually had a future in the party. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, if Chuck, you know, I think the people who could do it would be uh, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, because the Republican Party mm-hmm. is going to become an increasingly un uncomfortable place for them. It's going to be very an unwelcoming place for them over the coming year. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. at all. I mean, Collins is a weasel. She'll do and say whatever it takes to keep her job. And it would be way better for her to run in Maine uh, the next time she has to run in six years as an independent caucusing against the crazy nut jobs that it would be to try to, you know, throw in with a bunch of Christian nationalists because, you know, Maine may have religious folks, but they don't really have the tent revivals that they have down south that have taken over a good portion of that area of the Republican Party. Um, so, you know, you never know. But, but that's the thing is that Mitch McConnell tried like hell to get a promise from Chuck Schumer to not do away with the filibuster. Schumer wouldn't give it to him. In fact, Schumer not only would not give it to him, he played hardball. Uh, and so he is keeping that in his quiver. He is keeping that in his bag of tricks. Uh, so we could very well see the complete end of the filibuster uh, within the next calendar year, which would be fantastic wow. because then the Democrats can just legislate, you know, and just actually get things yeah. done. And if that happens, you will see Moscow Mitch's caucus in the Senate just crumble because then the, them standing in lockstep as a party caucus is going to be meaningless. And if they are going to want to have any accomplishments at all to run on, when it comes time to run again, they are going to have to, ow, 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 sorry, uh, the straight kitty was stretching uh, on my knee, ow. But anyway, uh, they are going to actually have to start legislating. And in a a Senate without a filibuster, the only way to get your name on legislation that passes is to work with the Democrats. Right. Which I guess is going to be a big Plus, but is there a, is there a chance that losing the filibuster can hurt us at some point? Uh, not really, because the Republicans took away the filibuster for just about everything meaningful. Uh, you know, like uh, judicial appointments and uh, Supreme Court justices, that kind of thing. I mean, the Democrats got rid of the lower level federal court filibuster because the Republicans were using it to make sure that no federal judges got appointed. They were literally going to say for as long as a Democrat was in office, they weren't going to allow any seats on the federal judiciary to ever be filled, even if that meant a decade. So that's why the Democrats got rid of that filibuster, but they left it in place for the Supreme Court for special reasons. Uh The Republicans got rid of it when the Democrats tried to block the sexual assault committer, Brett Kavanaugh, 
Uh, and uh, mm-hmm. that's why they got rid of for that. The only thing that the filibuster is around for is just wholesale blocking of agendas. Um, and the Democrats don't use it like the Republicans, even when the Democrats are in the minority. They don't use it like the Republicans do, because, again, the Democrats are interested in legislating. Uh, and also with the way yeah. that the U.S. population seems to love to have split government and have one house, you know, which soon as the Democrats took over the house, the Democrats never mm-hmm. had to use a filibuster. They haven't used a filibuster in years in the Senate, even though it was under Republican control, uh, because there was no yeah. legislation coming from the House. That was crazy because it was run by Nancy Pelosi uh, and not the crazy caucus. So, <clears throat> you know, yeah. it's, uh, it's really the thing is, is that the Democrats now have a program. They have an agenda to make things better. Uh, and Joe's mantra of build back better uh, is really more possible now than ever, because like I said, with the agreement on things and with the deals being made, there's really not a lot of daylight between the moderates and the progressives. I mean, the progressives are always going to push for more than they can get, but the fact that they're getting so much, the fact that they got Bernie Sanders as the chairman of the budget committee in the Senate let me tell you, that's one of the most powerful chairmanships in the entire U.S. Congress, okay? The wow. chairman of the budget yeah. committee in either the House or the Senate, because that is where the agenda is set. Bernie is going to decide what version of a minimum wage bill gets brought up for debate in committee and which ones get tabled awesome. and ignored. Uh, it, he, it will be up to him to decide which uh, laws regarding labor relations get debated and put through committee and put through to the Senate. It is up to Bernie to decide what Wall Street regulation legislation gets oh, taken up in that. committee. Yeah. Okay. Look at that, kids. That's going to be a good one. <laughs> exactly. And let me tell you something, for all the people who are bitching that Joe Biden didn't pick another old white guy, Bernie Sanders, to be his vice president, Bernie is going to be able to do way more for the progressive cause as the chairman of the budget committee than he is as vice president, because in the Senate, he now has real power. Uh, Oh, let me tell you, I also have a friend, I cannot reveal their uh, identity or how I know them, but I have a friend who works in a law firm that specializes in uh, defending Wall Street uh, firms against federal prosecution. They're a very specialized law firm located in Manhattan. And uh, this friend of mine has said that they have actually had uh, furloughs because for the last three, four years, they've had no business because the Trump administration was not interested in prosecuting Wall Street in the slightest. So they had no... Since there was nobody being indicted, the law firm had no work. But ever since Joe has been uh, inaugurated, they have all been called back from their furloughs, and now they're hiring for more staff. So that should tell you a lot of what's coming down the pipe. That's a good sign. We like that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, know, it's it's crazy, but it's cool at the same time, man. Right, but I wanted to ask you about the current uh, the current motion on the table for another stimulus deal and what you think is going to happen with that because today uh, 
Vice President Harris with the the tie-breaking vote on the floor, uh, which I thought was just so delicious. Um, Wasn't it? So, so, (laughs) yeah, I just, I needed to see that, Um, which made me ecstatic because hooray female, hooray Asian, hooray black, hooray Kamala, we love you so much. And we are honored to have you as our VP. I'm sorry, I just had to say that because I'm still not oh, over yeah. it, and I'm ecstatic about it because I always thought Amen, she was sister. superhuman anyway. <laughs> Seriously. So yeah, I mean, and I saw Liz Warren last night, which always makes me a little bit happy. And um, oh yeah, yeah. So we're 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 in it. We're in it. We're absolutely in it. I'm loving this. Right, I'm and loving exactly. It. And let me tell you. This is the way that the Democrats are negotiating with Republicans because they are willing to talk to them. But they're saying these are our benchmarks. You know, the only, mm-hmm. the only risk in doing a COVID relief bill is going too small and not doing enough yeah. to help rescue the economy and help people. So they've said, listen, if you want to talk about individual things, we can talk about individual things. But there are some things that are not going to be negotiated down, like the additional $1,400 for every American. That's going to be a done deal. The additional uh, help for vaccine acquisition and distribution in the states, that's a done deal. Uh, The help Mm -hmm. to small businesses that are having difficulty with lockdowns, that's going to be a done deal. Mm -hmm. All the stuff that can really have a substantive help to the American people is going to be a done deal. Because the Democrats are saying, listen, you can add stuff. We will let you offer any amendment you want, and we'll bring every amendment that you want up for a vote. But we are going to yeah. pass this on budget reconciliation, and don't think for a minute that we need you, uh, because we don't. So if you want to come along and be part of the solution, feel free, but we're not going to let you be the problem anymore. And uh, that is how they're going to do a lot of things. That is how they <coughs> um, – because so much of this stuff is financial, because so many of these, these things – impact the budget, the budget resolution that was just passed uh, with that 51st vote from uh, Vice President Harris. Uh, That means that a lot of things, whether it's this initial COVID stimulus bill, whether it's Congressman Uh Tim Ryan's plan to give every single uh, American $2,000 every month for the duration of the pandemic, uh, the, I think the language is for six months after the, the pandemic is declared over by the World Health Organization to give the economy time to fully recover. Um, that can be passed through budget reconciliation. Uh, $15 an hour minimum wage can be passed through budget reconciliation. The only stuff that they can't really pass through budget reconciliation are things like immigration reform. However, there's already, I'm yeah. already hearing reports uh, from the uh, Congress critters in South Florida and possibly, mm-hmm. uh, uh, possibly even Marco Rubio of cutting a deal to get an immigration bill because they know that without Trump on the ticket, they're, they're not going to be able to depend on cracker country to get them uh, elected anymore. So they're actually going to have to reach out right. to the Latinx community once again, uh, which means that you're going to need an immigration reform bill. I mean, that's about the only thing that you can't pass through budget reconciliation out of Joe's big uh, agenda uh, aspect, mm-hmm. um, including th- even things like investing in green energy, like doing subsidies for green energy development and to retrain people who lost jobs in coal mining uh, to do 
uh, new green energy type of jobs. All of that can be passed through budget reconciliation. So the move that they did today is their power move. And at one point earlier in the week, people thought that there was going to be a, a, a cog in the, uh, you know, a, a, a spanner in, in the gears uh, when Joe Manchin from yeah. West Virginia started making noises about not really being down with the COVID relief pill, uh, bill that right. didn't include any bipartisan support. Well, today he came out and said that he is not going to stand in the way of this bill passing just because the Republicans won't go along with it. And I think what he's going to do is he's going to point out just how many Republican governors, like the governor of West Virginia, the governor of Georgia, the governor of Florida, who are all saying that they need this COVID relief bill and they need it like yesterday. So Joe Manchin is going to yeah. be able to go home and say that he'll, you know, he, he believes that this is a bipartisan bill because the Republicans who are actually connected with their constituents are the ones who are supporting it. Uh, so that that's right. his out. I also have a strong feeling that Schumer is working on him behind the scenes to get him to come over on his side on the filibuster. And one of the things that Schumer could easily do is let one of Joe Manchin's bills come up for a vote and let the Republicans block it uh, and see if that <laughs> inspires him to want to do away with the, uh, with the filibuster. There's a whole lot of stuff that they can do. But, uh, you know, that there's a lot of stuff going on here. And once this stuff comes in, you know, you have no yeah. idea what the world's going to look like once we're past this pandemic. Because if you are giving every American $2,000 a month, that's $24,000 a year. There's a lot of single people who don't make that much. There's a lot of couples that don't that's make right. 48000 a year. There's a lot, of, there's a lot right. of families who don't make that kind of bank. Once you have 6, 12, 18, 24 months with Americans having that kind of income and that kind of buying power, I predict that yeah. the economy would be revving at such a high level and the millionaires and the billionaires would be making so much money hand over fist that they would be showing up, uh, they would be showing up at Congress with their own pitchforks and torches, uh, threatening the Republican Party with doom if they dare take that money away from all of their customers because a lot of that money is going to be flowing right back into their pockets. But it's going to, it, you, you have no idea what that could do to our economy if that kind of thing were just become standard. We're talking universal basic income, something I didn't expect to have a serious conversation about for a decade or more, is now looking like it could wind up coming in through the back door. So you never know. This well, is a very... Let me, let me, yeah. Let me ask you a question because I think yeah. when people hear that they get nervous because they don't know where that money is coming from. Can you please explain how that works when you're trying to balance exactly. a budget? Well, exactly, because one of the things and this is the this is how you sell this program to your traditional fiscally conservative Republicans. Universal basic okay. income would replace the welfare state. You would not need, yes. if every single person is getting a $2,000 every single month, you don't need to worry about traditional welfare as we know it. And, in fact, some of the poorest families that usually have a high density of, pe that high density of people in their house are going to be getting some of the biggest checks under a UBI system. So you take all the bureaucracy of the modern welfare state, Section 8, food stamps, all of these various different programs, you eliminate it all, all the bureaucracy, all the paperwork, all of the roadblocks in the way of people actually getting help 
that costs millions and billions of dollars nationally every year just to administer this program. This replaces all of it. And it's egalitarian. Everybody gets the same amount. It doesn't matter if you're Bocephus Johnson in Denton, Texas, or you're or your Huey Rockefeller in New York, you get that same $2,000 in your bank account every single month. But the people who it's really going to matter for are the ones who are going to get it. It'll be simpler, less red tape, and it'll be cheaper than the welfare states. And people have already Amazing. run the numbers on this. People way smarter than me have run the numbers on this. Eliminating the welfare state would free up enough money to give everybody $3,000 a month, not just 2000 and still have money left over to pay down the debt. Wow. Why are we not already doing this? Because That's it would incredible. help too many people. And Americans have, Americans have been raised with this ethos that uh, good people get ahead by working hard. But people are waking up to the fact that, no, you can work your ass off your entire life, and somebody who inherited everything is still going to rip you off. So it's like, you know, it, it's very it's different. And, you know, this pandemic brings things home to people in a way they never thought. I mean, because the, you know, so many people who have been so happy with their employer-provided health care for years all of a sudden found out that when they were laid off because of COVID or put on furlough, guess what went on furlough or what didn't go with them? Their health, their health coverage. All of a sudden people were getting sick and find out that their health coverage was gone because they weren't working at the time. Because they couldn't, because you know their system, their business was shut down because of the pandemic. Uh, there are a ridiculous amount of families that are looking at serious medical debt from their deceased yeah. loved ones who died for COVID nineteen. Uh, so there is yeah. a lot of things that people have assumed for a long time that have been thrown completely into doubt. And let me tell you, I was looking at some numbers recently. There was polling done uh, by a very reputable firm on things like UBI. And, of course, 88% of Democrats supported it, but somewhere between 68 and 72% of Republicans supported it, too, because they like the fact that everybody gets the same amount. And let's face it, the business community isn't stupid. They know that the only thing standing in between them and making more money is for their customers to have more money. So it's it's one of these win-win things. That's incredible, Talzin. It really is. I think that would be so brilliant. You know, if you can eliminate the welfare state and all the bureaucracy that goes into it, and the, I mean, because it's not just a question of, and I want folks to understand, it's not just a question of the administration of welfare and the distribution of welfare. It also will eliminate the need for food stamps and several other forms of government assistance because people will already have the money. Right. It's not just it's not just about um, welfare in and of itself. It's any kind of assistance that people who maybe aren't even eligible for, for welfare could get and collect. It would eliminate multiple multiple issues. So that's that's kind of why I wanted to explain it to folks because it seems like exactly. oh, you know the U.S. government they just print money that we don't have. Well. In some regards, yes, we do. But this would be an actual solution that, while on its surface may not look viable, when you get down and dig in and see all of the things that wouldn't be necessary anymore, it's more than viable. It's it's actually ridiculous that exactly. we're not doing it because of the savings we could have in other arenas 
and you are looking at helping out the homeless population in new and better ways now that there would be money, um, you know, right. set folks up uh, with the ability to well, have an actual bed and an actual place to stay. And, you know, yeah. let's, a rising tide, we, you know, raises all boats. And that's kind of right. the point. That's why I'm a Democrat in the first place, well, um, because an- I actually care thing about to remember. other people. Yeah, yes, another please. thing to remember, too, that people should really keep in mind is that most of the job people always complain about our jobs being sent overseas to China, overseas to wherever. The fact is, most of the jobs mm-hmm. that we've lost in manufacturing over the last 40, 50 years were not shipped overseas. They were lost to automation. And automation is a force that will not be denied. It is happening. It is going to happen. It is going to continue to happen. And by the time that my kids have kids, by the time my grandchildren hit their teenage years, 75% of the jobs that were available to people like you and me, Raina, when we were growing up, 75% of those jobs are going to be gone forever. So we need to find another way of sustaining our culture other than this idea of full employment. We've never been at full employment in this nation, and we are never going to get to full employment because automation is going to take away plenty of jobs. But the thing is, is that when you move it to a a universal basic income system, then you don't have to have everybody going out and doing a job. Even if people want to sit at home on the couch and play Xbox, they're still consumers. They're still putting money into the economy, keeping businesses going, and keeping the people who do work there going. But then you're going to have a lot of people who are going to have the time to create great literature, Mm -hmm. come up with the next great app or the next social media platform that's going to revolutionize everything. I mean, just imagine the person who could have come up with the cure uh, for breast cancer. They could be toiling in a nine-to-five job for survival, never being able to go to Mm -hmm. school to learn their trade because they were too busy trying to survive and not starve and could never really let their yep. mind go to the place where they could really contribute to society. So there True is just, it, there's, it's going to be a requirement after a while, and the sooner we get used to the idea, I think the smoother the transition for our entire culture is going to be. I love that. That's just a magical, wonderful thing. And the fact that it's even a possibility now I mean, you know, we talk about the things we've lost in schools, art programs, sports programs, things that make a well-rounded human being, things that weren't in question when I was a kid that we we right. had. We had education in, in all kinds of fields, fields. We had acting programs and music programs, sports programs, like I said. Um, the idea that people could actually pursue doing something they love as opposed to doing something they have to do. Think about how different your life would be if you could just wake up in the morning and go do what you want to do. And most people, you know, and there's a a faction of people who say, oh, you know, everybody's going to sit around, get high, and, and just tune in and tune out. There will be some people who do that. That's fine. This enables that to happen. But if you have brilliant ideas and you're slogging at a nine-to-five because you're just trying to pay the bills, imagine what you could do if you had enough free time to, do, to really pursue something you're passionate about. How exactly. amazing would your life be if you had that kind of exactly. time and the financial support? I think it could change 
everything. It has well, it's great like this potential. Meme. It's like this meme. I know we're kind of running short on time here. I would say real quick, this meme that's what's floating around, you know, the future that uh, progressives want, it shows Starfleet. The future that conservatives want, it shows Mad Max. Well, you know, I'll just talk to UBI, remind people, you want Starfleet? you got to go with the people who believe in science. ain't going to happen any other way, folks. (laughs) Right. That's right. So, Talison, I have a couple of minutes extra lined up here for you. Um, Please remind folks about what you're doing and where they can find you and how they can get your your writings. Well, you can always find me at talisong.com. That is talisong.com. There. I'm going to be doing a big update, but there's still a link there where you can get the Sorceress Book 1. There's also a link where you can get an autographed copy of the Sorceress on paperback for $9.99. Now, folks, if you want to get a signed copy of the Sorceress on paperback for $9.99, you're going to want to do it this month. Because when I put The Witch out, that book is going to be $9.99 signed for me, and a signed copy of the Sorceress is going to go back to its regular retail price of $15. I mean, you still want to get it through me yeah. instead of through Amazon because I'll still give you free, free shipping and I'll sign it and probably throw in a bookmark. But if you want to get it for 10 bucks, get it this month because when The Witch comes out, then you'll be able to get that one for $9.99 uh, signed uh, with free shipping. Uh, but you know, the links for both the ebook and the paperback are on the website. And catch me on Twitter at Talison underscore G where I will be uh, doing my cover reveal. And also check out the Desperate House Witches page to find out when the cover reveal is going down and how you can see it right there on your Facebook. That's right. Talzin, very excited about that. Let's get together and discuss it over this weekend. We will set that up. Alrighty. All right, folks. Talzin will be back next month as always. Talzin, sign yourself off, my friend. Yes, my folks. It's been great talking at you. I will see you next time. Same bat time, same bat station. Callison out. Right on. All right, folks, I will be back tomorrow with the amazing Mortellus, and we are going to be discussing her brand-new book, Do I Have to Wear Black? It's going to be amazing. I can't wait for tomorrow. Everybody have a wonderful night. I will see you then. Have a great one.